You're listening to 95.7 FM, KDRT LP, Davis, California. Time for the Davis Garden Show. This is Don Shore. And this is Lois Richter on a bright, beautiful, sunny Davis day, but it's fall. It is fall, and it was cold by our standards. The nation got flipped around in terms of weather. You folks back east are setting some amazing temperature records, especially in the southern southern states for highs. And we dropped down to 41 degrees in the Dixon-Vacaville area yesterday morning, which is several, if not more than 10 degrees cooler than our typical temperature, average temperature low at this time of year, which would be 52. And that's through the whole month, and we're at the beginning of the month. We're ramping back up a little bit. It's 63 degrees right now here in the Davis area, going up to 78 today, 47 tonight, 76 tomorrow, Friday. The date today, by the way, is October 3rd, 2019. Uh, Saturday, 84 degrees, which is, just to repeat, our average temperature throughout the month of October is goes about 79 degrees, should be in the low 80s in the early part of the month, mid-70s by the end of the month. We're 84 degrees right, uh, for Saturday, 54 degrees Saturday night, 87 degrees Sunday, uh, 55 degrees Sunday night, and here we go, folks, Monday, 90 degrees. 90 degrees? Back We're back to, to summer. That's right, back to summer. Get some of those tomatoes ripening out there. Uh, I've got about 200 tomatoes still on my plants that are all in early color stage, so I'm hoping for these mid-80s to 90s degree weather so I can get them all nice and fully colored up and ripe. Uh, 90 is going to be about the high. That's Monday, and it'll be 55 at night, then dropping down there thinking to about 85, 84 Tuesday or Wednesday. It's a little vague as we go that far out because, let's see, what do we got here? Uh, the extended discussion is that there's a broad ridge settling over the west coast. will linger into Monday. The ridge means high pressure means warm. Progressive mid-latitude flow eventually ushers the ridge eastward away, allowing for a gradual cool down. Valley highs on Monday, upper 80s to around 90. Readings dropping by about 5 to 7 degrees by the middle of the week, which brings us closer to what they like to call typical early October climatology. And the long-range forecast uh, is a little vague because there's some there's a closed low out there and they're hard to predict. But we'll subject to change. That would the ridge would again build heights over the west coast, which would raise temperatures a bit from the current forecast. So 
mid-80s, low-80s, maybe upper 70s. Nothing in the 90-degree range in the, Tuesday. in the extended forecast except this coming Monday. Yeah, Monday, Monday. Monday at 90. Wow. Um, everybody's in a fall mood here in California, at least in the Central Valley. We get, uh, mm-hmm. as soon as the weather turns slightly cooler, we get people walking in looking for onions, garlic, cover crops, uh, vegetables like the, the brassicas, all that kind of stuff. And then they want to know as it warms back up, now what? Is it okay? What are we going to do? Just keep them watered. They'll be fine. Everything mm-hmm. will be fine. A little <laughs> early for onions. Uh, they don't usually come in here in the valley until November as bare root plants. We'll talk more about onions in the onion bare root season. That's a good plan. By the way, I know that it's uh, autumn because the yellow rum warblers have arrived. Well, that's one way to tell. Those those okay. little those little birds that are that, they call them butterbutts. <laughs> they have various coloration on the on the body, but they always have a yellow rump. Okay. So, and they're here for the winter. And what do they eat? Seeds, good berries, little tiny things. They don't eat bugs in the garden. They they eat little tiny bugs like aphids and things. stuff, oh, but okay. not. Okay. But if you go to the senior center and you look up in those trees uh, over the parking lot next to the building there, the trees are filled with little red berries. Tell me, Don, what kind of trees are they? Little red berries probably be Chinese pistachio. That's it. They're, some of the they're green to red berries. Yeah, some of the neighborhoods have seed-grown Chinese pistache, so you have about equal numbers of male and female trees, mm-hmm. and the female trees have red berries. Most people don't want those. Yeah. So most of us who sell Chinese pistache trees sell grafted male mm-hmm. only, uh, partly because that one cultivar, Keith Davy, has reliable, spectacular red fall color, and it doesn't have these red berries. They're dry berries. It's not like squishy stuff all over your yard. Well, but there's a lot of them. Uh, we yeah. Right along the fence line of our nursery, the, the entire store next door, has a long row of pistache trees that were grown from seed. And three of them set copious amounts of these berries. We enjoy watching the, well, red-winged blackbirds, I guess, would be one mm-hmm. of the common ones. Uh, big swarms of birds that come in and enjoy them and then fly off, regurgitating mm-hmm. them as they do. They pop so, around all over the nursery, but uh, it's a little bit of a nuisance. Uh, for that reason, most people don't want the female trees. And if you go to the senior center in the summer, mm. you don't want to park on the center aisle because the trees over there dream Rip sticky stuff. It's horrible. Well, that and be in the, the winter time, so. you don't want to park on the side where the the uh, the uh, pistachio trees or the pistachio trees tried by the by the building. Mm-hmm. That's because where the pistachio trees are, and they don't cause a problem. But I got to tell you, there are so many of those little yellow rump warblers <laughs> that there's poop everywhere. It will cause a slight, <laughs> slight problem. So. Park, just to, just in to the back summer, up. park by the by the building, and the winter, park in the middle. Just to back up, the trees dripping stuff are not the pistachio. No, no, no. Right, That's a hack, totally different. What I'm berries. saying is, yep. I I park according to season <laughs> what's at the senior out of center. The trees. There we go. Yeah, what's falling out of the trees? Right. <laughs> Want to mark okay. your calendars? The Sacramento chapter of the California Rare Fruit Growers will have their January Scion Exchange. We'll get you more information on this, but they're reserving a room for January 19th. If you don't know what a scion exchange is, that's a place where you can go get budwood for cool fruit trees that you'll then learn how to graft onto rootstock. And they're a very, very active group in the Sacramento area, very active on Facebook. So you can find the Sacramento chapter, California Rare Fruit Growers there. I'll try to keep you updated on the location, probably going to be in Carmichael. Same place has been held for the last three to four years. But they're not sure yet. Not sure yet. So just mark your calendar. For January 19th, mm-hmm. Scion is spelled S-C-I-O-N. So put that on your calendar. Scion. And then when, when it pops up in January, hopefully I'll have reminded you what it's all about. Cool. 
Okay, Keith wrote us from the mailbag. Um, Hi, Don and Lois. I have a 20-foot California gold banana with the flower just starting to open. He sent a cool picture of it. I'll try and get it up on the website at some point. It has three pups coming up next to it. Two questions. Is there enough time in the year for the bananas to mature? And should I remove the other pups to help ripen it or just let them stay to make a grow? We use the term pups for offshoots, side shoots that come up on any number of plants. I have no idea where this term came from. But bananas, agaves, things that send up babies at the base in a predictable pattern, we often call those pups. And in the banana biz, they do. Um, no, the answer about will it have time to ripen before, uh, no. Uh, they, take, they go through the winter. I learned this the hard way with mine and then looked it up later. Uh, bananas here in Northern California, and Keith is in Zone 9B, so he's very similar to where, where we are here in terms of winter cold. Mm-hmm. It gets cold enough to damage the top of the banana. It'll damage the ripening fruit. And so here we have to protect that whole plant, including the fruit, through the winter because it isn't going to ripen until next year. Uh, Mm. So that can be a challenge, especially on a 20-foot plant. It might just be a matter of wrapping the top of it during extreme cold events. If you're in Zone 9B, you know, it's the warmer end of USDA Zone 9. We're using USDA zones here because they refer, first of all, because he did, and because they refer only to the winter cold damage that might be expected. 9B, typically you don't get below about 26, 25 degrees, but anything below about 29 or 30 is likely to damage the top of that banana and damage the development fruit. So you'd want to take some measure to try and protect the top or the fruit or some combination of those, which could be a little challenging on a tree of that size. As for leaving the pups, I think it's better to leave them. They just strengthen mm-hmm. the top, so I can't think of any particular and, reason. And if the top is damaged, well, you'll have pups next year. Yeah, they are. They'll, they'll, grow. they'll grow up. My experience so, with bananas, and I'm, I consider myself zone 9A because uh, I get colder on a cold night than people in town do. And I have bananas, and I've watched them freeze to the ground routinely mm-hmm. and come back. They come back from the—I always leave them. If this happens to any of you the in the USDA zones 9 or 10, sunset zones 8, 9, or 14, uh, the top will freeze. The leaves look horrible. Leave them because they're sort of collapsing down and wrapping around the trunk. And that so they're making trunk. their own frost protection right there with those leaves. Yeah, they are. They're they're sort of wrapping around and protecting that fleshy trunk, which is in the middle of that is where it's going to grow from. Unlike you know a tree that has buds all the way out on the on the limb, bananas grow from the center the way palm trees do. They're monocots. They're like grasses. And so all you want to do is try and keep that core alive. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how bad the top looks, as long mm-hmm. as that center doesn't freeze all the way through into the core, it'll push out at some point. Usually about April, sometimes May you'll see a little leaf start pushing out from the center. Then you can cut all that yucky stuff off if you want to. Anytime you're past any further danger of frost, you can take that off. I just leave it until it feels distinctly like spring, Uh, maybe until the cannas are sprouting. That's a good guide because they're a similar plant in terms of the way they die down. And then just go ahead and trim it off. But as long as the center stays alive, my bananas have come back, even when they're killed to the ground. Mm -hmm. I have some more tender ones. I keep trying different bananas on my farm. And uh, sometimes they're killed completely to the ground. It may be May or June before they pop back up, but they do, usually. Uh, it depends on the variety, so you've got to do a little experimenting. If you're in anything colder USDA-wise than Zone 9, you're definitely going to need to take some protective measures or consider them to be just another indoor-outdoor plant. Well, if it's—could um, it, you, could you 
Now, I know this one says he's 20 feet tall. Yeah. It doesn't say exactly where it is. Okay. Um, could you have something that is growing, like, right next to the house mm-hmm. um, and maybe put a little overhang over yeah. it? Would, would that be enough to protect it? it? Or is it, it still going to need Christmas tree lights and It depends covers? on the time. It depends on how absolutely cold we get. I was looking back through my records for, you know, figuring out uh, the cold damage I'd had on some of my young citrus. And three years ago, in 2015, 16, uh, we got down to 23 degrees at our farm, and that did light damage to young citrus trees. And then we got down to 23 degrees for six hours one night. Frost damage, cold damage is a function not just of absolute temperature, but duration as well. Those of you listening in zones colder than eight, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But here, when we get cold, you know, we may get down to 23, 24 degrees briefly for an hour. Well, you know, you'll see a lot of damage, but it'll be sustainable. The time it went for six hours back in December of 2015, it killed three young citrus that I had planted that fall completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, Others were damaged but recovered. And again, it was the duration. And I'm out in the open. I'm on a farm. When you guys are 27, 28 degrees, I may be 23 or 24 degrees. A light night of that is not a huge issue. Several hours of it can be worse. Several days, like the big freeze events that everybody here remembers, mm-hmm. 1990, 1998. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't forget this night in the 70s. Yeah, there was one in the 75, <laughs> yeah. I think it was. And uh, they did, you know, the, the bananas would be the least of your worries in a year like that. You'd, mm-hmm. be, you'd be writing them off and trying to save your orange trees. So You'd be writing them off and trying well, to kind save... Kind of. Yeah. yeah. My, 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 in 1990, on our farm in Dixon... We got to 16 degrees, mm-hmm. and it was below freezing for a week, not every hour of the day, but every night, substantially below freezing, by which I mean below 32 degrees Fahrenheit, and it was down in the 20s a number of those nights, and the mm-hmm. whole thing went on for 10 days, yep. and it had been, to top it off, it had been a very dry fall, so we had uh, cold damage on top of dry plants, um, just substantial amount of damage, that probably the mm-hmm. worst freeze anybody in Northern California can remember. But and I lots ex- of bus pipes. Oh, yeah. First time. And last time that's happened here, that extended all the way into the Bay Area. If you live there, you know the eucalyptus trees in the Oakland Hills were badly damaged by that, which became a huge fire issue in later years. Southern California even was damaged that year. So that was a major freeze event. Not much you can do for a banana in that situation. Most of them came back from the ground later, but anything that was fruiting that was so what i'm hearing from you is if it dies back and grows back from the ground every year and it takes uh, over winter to the next year to have fruit you're not going to have bananas probably not in most situations unless you have one of those magic microclimates like you have it in a patio or courtyard where you have that Mm -hmm. added frost protection or unless you build a greenhouse well yeah cover cover it somehow yeah yeah anyway i hope that answers your question (laughs) so we, we we've answered the question can you grow bananas here now the next question is can you grow saffron here yes Saffron. saffron. Saffron is Isn't that a tulip? absurdly easy to grow. No, it's a crocus. A crocus. Crocus sativus. Sativus, whenever you see that name as part of the Latin binomial, it just means eaten. It's something we eat. Sativus. And so crocus sativus is the saffron crocus. It's unusual compared to this crocus that you're familiar with in that it blooms in the fall. Mm-hmm. In fact, it blooms right after you plant the bulb. And right now is the time to find bulbs. I can say this because ours just arrived. So <laughs> fall is the time to look for them at nurseries that stock them. You plant them, and three, four weeks later, it'll put out a flower bud and bloom. And you'll see this very pretty, very fragrant lavender lilac flower with a bright orange-red central part, the uh, stigma. And that is the part you pluck out 
one by one, one at a time, and used to flavor rice for saffron rice or other dishes like And that's why it's so expensive. It's a labor factor, yes. You can go online and find pictures of people picking saffron. Now, bear in mind, this is a crocus bulb that blooms at the ground level, and you have to hand-pick the center of each flower. Mm -hmm. So it's labor-intensive, to put it mildly. No one has figured out a way to mechanize this. But you could grow them up on on tables. Sure, you can. I mean, commercially they don't, but uh, you can. It's grown heavily in Spain and uh, Iran and uh, India and places like that where they have the right climate. It loves a Mediterranean rainfall climate like like ours. I experimented with them years ago when I first got saffron bulbs. I planted some in full sun in an area that I was not going to irrigate at all during the summer. Dry garden bed, typical bulb planting, because that's mm-hmm. actually really ideal for a lot of bulbs. And I did some of them in a very enriched bed that was more shade. Those grew, bloomed vigorously, lots of lush foliage, and I harvested tons of saffron from them. I mean, they paid for themselves, to put it mildly. And then they just never showed up again. Mm. They just kind of grew themselves to death is the way I put it. The ones that I put in the ground in the dry area right near my ginkgo tree gave me saffron for 10 years, Mm. multiplying freely until they finally got crowded out by something else. And they are very adaptable to any place that's basically cool winter rain, dry summers. They love that kind of thing. The same kind of place herbs will grow. If you're not in one of those places in a colder climate, do them in pots. They're very easy and they'll bloom right away. It's kind of fun. So we have a, a hot season, growing season in the summer, and a cool season, growing season in the winter. Yep. So we're, we're now on the cusp of cool season. Isn't it time to plant all those cool season things? Well, everybody seemed to think so for the last uh, week and a half, certainly. Now, remember, a week ago Tuesday, it was 102 degrees. Yep. Remember that? And, and next Tuesday, it'll be 90. 90, but in between, we dropped down to 40. So we're in that kind of up and down time of year. Yes, it is time to think about and plant. Uh, if you go to the calendar... Uh, for October 2019, I, the calendar that's always on my business website at redwoodbarn.com. That has his beautiful pictures on All it. All kinds of pictures on there. My weather notes on this are hot, dusty, and windy because in early October it is here. It's almost always uh, low humidity, to put it mildly. We have not even reached the dew point yet. Even though as cold as we were, 41 degrees, the dew point was in the 30s. Mm. So we're not even seeing dew yet. And that means that the humidities in the afternoon are... 15, 20, 25 percent, and plants still need water. More to the point, they're just getting ready, warning you all to start shaking the walnuts. They finished the almonds. Those are all done. They're all picked up. You got a little reprieve on the dustiness, and now they're about to start shaking the tens of thousands of acres of walnuts that are grown in this area. And when they shake them, and they do it in October, it kicks up a lot of dust, and it's very common for us to get a dry north wind here. It's not mm-hmm. uncommon for you to see spider mites increase briefly on outdoor plants and even indoor plants during that kind of event because they like a dusty leaf surface. makes it easier for them to build their webs and, and multiply. So washing plants off in October can actually be a really, really useful thing to do to minimize white flies and minimize spider mites. But yes, we're at the time when you're planting... All those vegetables that you Mm -hmm. like so much, like broccoli and cauliflower and carrots and lettuce and leafy greens of all kinds. I mean, kale and spinach and chard are just the start of it. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there. Uh, What I call Asian-style greens for stir-fry have become very popular and are very, very easy to grow. Broccolini, things like that, bok choy. Peas go in now for harvest typically in February. Beets go in now for harvest, typically February to March. And we'll be doing onions soon for the big bulbing onions, but you can plant onions for green onions. So that's just a quick review. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, then let's talk about flowers because so we don't yeah, ever talk about flowers. Quick review of the vegetables. But flowers, uh, now is actually a really good time to plant 
sort of three categories, things that bloom now and continue through the winter. That, and so it's instant prettiness. Yeah. Things that bloom primarily in pots for the holidays, but you can start thinking about those now. Cyclamen is a good example. And uh, things you plant now to bloom in the winter and spring. So you're planting them now for bloom later. And I gave you a list somewhere there. Aha. Uh-huh. Here we cool go. Season cool flowers. season flowers. And we oh, can, my and it's, goodness. It's not as long a list as uh, things available to us in the summer. And bear in mind, since I know people listen to this show all over the world and all over the country, um, we we are talking about a place where freezing weather here happens. But it's We get rare. frost. No, no, it's not rare. We get frost a number of times each winter. But a frost is not going to harm these plants. Uh, even the freezes, like we were just talking about earlier, won't harm them for the most part. 1990 was an interesting exception um, in my nursery. You walked out there when it had just been 16 degrees the night before, and you came into work, and it was still in the low 20s. Some of you experience this on a regular basis, <laughs> new to me. You'd walk out, and the bedding packs, the six packs and the single plants of snapdragons, pansies, veils were frozen solid. Mm-hmm. They, either the roots were, the soil around the roots was an ice cube. Mm-hmm. And the top, we had fun crushing them because you could just press down. The whole thing is burst. They'd shatter. They'd shatter, which yeah. is new to me. So we didn't do too many of them, but it was kind of entertaining. Interestingly, all of those thawed out and were fine, except the blossoms were ruined. So the yeah. plants just had to put out new blossoms. But even down into the teens, the plants were fine. However, if you're in a place where it gets into the teens routinely, you probably already know that these aren't things you plant now for winter bloom. Unless maybe you have a, I don't know, a porch or something. If you do, if you have a winter place with those color and annual color, take some pictures and send them to us. We'd love to see what you do (laughs) for winter color in Canada, Michigan, places like that. But these are things we plant now for bloom, not just right away, although they come in in bloom in many cases, into the winter and in some cases planting now for bloom in the winter, late winter. So I've separated them kind of. So, uh, go ahead. Is this, this document, he handed me a three-page document. It's gorgeous. It's got the, the, the people's name, the Latin name, the people's name, a description of it, whether it's cool season or what, and, mm-hmm. and full sun part shade, all that stuff. It's great. Is this on your website? Yeah, this is one of the lists I've made. If you oh, go to redwoodbarn.com for a, for a Master Gardener's talk I did last month, I made a bunch of plant lists. Mm-hmm. And you'll see in, over on the right-hand side of the, the homepage, uh, plants for our area, which, of course, you can use elsewhere, just adapt to your region. And it's it, all I could come up with was a whole bunch of PDF Mm-hmm. documents mm-hmm. that people can download for now. At some point, we're hoping to put a searchable database up there where you'll be able to so go this in. this is called Cool Season This flowers. particular one is sorted out from the annuals as the Cool Season annuals. And it's a, not, a, not a long list, but it's things that will give us a lot of bloom. So, so I'm just going to read it all, and then oh, well, one by we, one. Can, we can go and talk about each if you want time. to. Calendula. Yep. It looks like a weed to me, but people like it. That's sometimes called... It's kind of orange. It is orange, yes, yeah, or it's yellow. It's kind of orange. There are some new striped ones out there. I Every couple of years, I fall in love with calendulas again, and then I get disillusioned. But uh, <laughs> their the foliage is not that attractive. No, But the blooms are bright, orange and yellow, and in the winter, those are good colors. I oh, don't yeah. even care if you like or don't like oranges or yellows. If you're doing a winter flower garden... Use those. 
because you'll and, be able to see them from 30 yards away, yeah. which means from inside looking out. Yeah. <laughs> when you're standing at your kitchen doing your dishes, yep. assuming you still do dishes, um, look out the window and look at what you see and figure out if there's a place that you can put something pretty for color. Calendulas are a good choice. Yeah. Plus they're um, edible. English primrose. Now, they're kind of they're the kind of really low-to-the-ground ones, aren't they? Unfortunately, yes. Um, I think I've ranted about this before, but I'll keep it short. English primroses were great winter annuals. Uh, they're technically perennial. Those of you living in milder climates can actually grow primroses in general as perennials. Here, the heat usually takes its toll so badly on them by May to June that people just pull them out. But if you happen to leave the plant, most of us have had the experience of having an English primrose come back for two or three years. They're technically mm-hmm. perennial. The problem, in my opinion, is that the breeders, as with every other bedding annual, have bred for greater and greater dwarfism, which is to say more compact growth habit and blooming shorter because those will bloom nicely in pots and they'll sell themselves. My retail persona thinks that's fine, but as a gardener, it irritates me because yeah, if you they're get, down on the ground, they, they should are. be up where I can see them. Well, they're, they're okay, so you can stick them together in a pot or something and make a nice little arrangement with English primroses and put it up on a table. But uh, the old ones, the blossoms stood a good foot up above yeah. the foliage, so we'd get rain. Fine, you just shake them off, and there'd be no problem. These new ones. You get rain, it, all the water traps down in the under the blossom in the crown of the plant. And if it rains for a couple of days straight and we're in the 40s or 50s, you get botrytis. You, they just rot. So it's very exasperating. But uh, they are the thing about primroses is they probably come in a greater range of colors than any other winter annual. Mm-hmm. So they're worth looking for. But do be aware that a wet year like we went through 2018, 2019, a lot of them were just kind of rotting there because mm-hmm. of how short stature they are. Well, then there's the other kind of primrose, which is the fairy primrose. Yeah. Now, that one is much more delicate yes. looking, and it has a taller stem. Yeah, and it doesn't have that problem. Hardly available in the trade, but if you find them, they give, lo- they give lots of bloom, especially packed yeah. into containers with and other And they're, they're whites and pinks and reds. Yeah. And they're very pretty. These are hardy down to about 28 degrees. So, again, you know, you adjust as needed forever you're listening. Okay. Uh, Johnny Jump Ups. These are violas. You now, cannot... violas also come in, other, in solid colors. Yeah, the, but... genus, the genus viola encompasses a lot of plants. You've got mm-hmm. viola heteracea running all over your yard, the Australian violet. Mm-hmm. People downtown Davis have viola odorata running all over their yards, like it or not. That's the sweet violet. Those are perennial ground cover members of the genus. Mm-hmm. Pansies, violas, and Johnny Jump Ups are three different species of viola sold almost everywhere as annuals, although technically, again, they can be perennial. Again, it's the heat that kills them here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we get to about April or May, we hit 90 degrees a few times. Oh, that's the end of it. They start to stretch and fall apart and people pull them out. Hypothetically, let's say you're in Berkeley or somewhere in Oregon, you could probably get them to go through the summer and come back the next winter. Of the three, I say Johnny Jump Ups are the toughest plants in your winter garden. They're adaptable. They hold their flowers up. Rain doesn't bother them. They don't fall down face first into the mud. They're so cute. There's new forms with bigger flowers. There's bicolor types. There's dark purple ones. There's yellow. The Johnny Jump Ups also tend to reseed, Mm -hmm. and that's fine. And they tend to, unlike most others, they tend to not be F1 hybrids, so they tend to come true from seed. So if you have King Henry, it's a purple one. If you seeds, you'll probably have King Henry again, Mm -hmm. whereas other pansies and veolas don't really 
really do that. In that same category, violas, which are just small flowered pansies. That's viola carnuda? Yeah. And um, those are really adaptable. Flowers maybe an inch or two, so they're twice to three times as big as Johnny Jump Ups. Hold themselves up well. Lots of bloom. Mm -hmm. Nice compact plants. More heat tolerant in my experience than pansies. More weather tolerant in general than pansies. And so you get more garden plant for your money. And then you got pansy pansies. And those are the big-faced ones. Yes. Yeah. Some of them don't have faces, but most of them do. I mean, and the big big flowered ones. Yeah. And some of them have the classic pansy face that definitely is um, considered an important part of pansies by some people. <laughs> <laughs> and I worked in a nursery in the 70s when the Rogley hybrids were all the rage, and these were like four-inch blooms. I mean, unbelievably large, heavy-petaled flowers that were definitely worth growing. But even at a drizzle in San Diego, they fell flat face-first into the mud because mm-hmm. they were so heavy. So they ended up being great container plants or in a bedding area where that wasn't going to be an issue. For the size of bloom, for the for how spectacular the individual blooms are, and just for the familiarity of a pansy that is every kid's delight, b- pansies are great. But mm-hmm. weather-wise, you're better off, in my opinion, with Johnny Jump Ups and Violas. Go I mix. Agree. I agree. Plant and them together. the Violas come in some beautiful colors now. And just to confuse things, of course, breeders have crossed Violas and Pansies. And they've also crossed Violas and Johnny Jump Ups. And the Viola Pansy. Pansies? Uh, 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 panolas. Panolas? Panolas, yes. And oh this is, goodness. in my opinion, it's. Panola is bread. Panolas are an improvement on Pansies in the sense of being more weather tolerant, but they're smaller flowers. So again, they're intermediate. Watch for them. They're, they're cool. Okay, Try whatever works in your area. Okay. So beyond the violas, um, we go to things that look like little miniature snapdragons called linaria. Linarias and nemesias you should look for, especially if you're in coastal California or someplace with milder winters, because they look like completely scaled down snapdragons on plants that bloom like crazy and uh, go through the cool weather. Nemesia does it. Linaria does it. We finally get hot. Uh, most of them stop about March, April, and they're pretty much done. Some of the new nemesias, which are similar similar to the Linarias, and these have names like Baby Snapdragon or, or things like that you'll find on the label. They're trying to say to you, use this like a little Snapdragon. Uh, we'll go on even into April, May, or June, but mm-hmm. uh, they're cool. They're great plants, especially for the coastal areas. A little bit too cold-sensitive for cold, cold areas, though. Well, one of the things that I like to do with those, either of them actually, is to make a hanging pot mm-hmm. um, right outside my front door where they're slightly protected by the house. So mm-hmm. they, they actually tend to make it through the winter. And they'll stretch and actually a little beautiful. bit. And they're beautiful. They, I mean, they hang and they're, they're, they're so full of flowers. It's like, it's not a green thing with a little flower here and there. It's like a orange thing. Yeah, it's a lot of bloom. And, <laughs> they, of and bloom. if you mix it with some of the violas or Johnny Jump Ups, those would cascade over the side. I mean, yeah. you, should, you should try to mix some of these different cool season annuals. We don't sell at our nursery a lot of hanging baskets because in the summer because it's, it's too hot impossible to keep them watered. Yeah. People walk in looking for them. Well, we brought in some, and we found we literally had to water petunia hanging baskets twice a day. So mm-hmm. we see a high likelihood of failure. Uh, for the average gardener, yeah. unless you're willing to water the plant on your way out to work and water the plant when you get home, probably not going to do real well with it. But in the winter, these yes. things are really easy. Yeah. You water them until the rains come, and then you don't even have to worry about it. Yeah. Unless they're mm-hmm. under an overhang, in which case you probably should water them occasionally. And if you've got the tender ones, you want them under an overhang yeah. because, yeah, they're tender. Okay, Paludosum daisy. This has gone through some name changes. This chrysanthemum is Chrysanthemum paludosum. That's the old name. Chrysanthemum paludosum is now classed in the genus Leucanthemum because plant taxonomists took chrysanthemum and chopped it up into a bunch Uh-oh. of bunch of pieces. Uh, and so a bunch of them got named argyranthemums and leucanthemums. We still call it 
Paludosum daisy. The uh-huh. pal- paludosum part, the species name, is still there. And uh, these are actually one of the most successful, reliable winter annual flowers that you can put in bright white so people don't think about them because it's not a bright color like a yellow or a Oh, but it orange. shows up gray when it's gray. Yeah, we almost always plant a border of them out front at our nursery right down the sidewalk. Sometime soon we'll put them in and we pull them out in about 1st of May. And they mm-hmm. give bloom that entire period. They mm-hmm. end up looking like a little shrub of white daisies. By a little shrub, I mean a foot. Not like a marguerite or a bigger shrub like that. So they're a great bedding plant. The bloom is nonstop, and they're pretty heat tolerant, and they also tend to reseed here and there. So if you see something looking like them coming up again late summer, leave them. It's probably the same thing. I haven't tried those in a hanging basket. Would they work? They're an, uh, they're a mound, so they so wouldn't be, be your they wouldn't be your spillers. Maybe in a half barrel. They would be your fillers. Okay. Yes, not okay. a thriller, not a spiller. It'd be a filler. You familiar? Oh, would have to go on to this some other time, Don. <laughs> hey, no, it's simple. Any basket, any planter you do, you have three categories of plants. People do seminars on this subject. you got your thriller. That's the upright thing in the middle. You the your, exciting thing. Yeah, like your formium or your cordyline or something. Then you've got your fillers, which are the rounded things around it. And you've got your spillers, which are the things that cascade over the side. And some balance of those is what makes a hanging basket or a planter look well-constructed. In Don's opinion. No, it's not my opinion. I got that from someone who does it for a living. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I got, All right, I got Don. This, I got this from a lady who sells about 800 container arrangements a year. Pinks, Don. What about them? Pinks. Uh, pinks that's our next That's our next. Dianthus, which would be, which would be fillers. <laughs> Dianthus are actually an interesting plant because we sell them year-round because mm-hmm. they will bloom for a number of weeks right after you plant them, almost no matter when you plant them. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about cottage pinks here, the, uh, the, the carnation relatives that have a very light, sweet fragrance, not nearly as pungent as carnations, make a bedding plant and sold as annual bedding plants, but at all seasons of the year. And they're not really annuals. They're actually perennial. Two, again, a two- to three-year perennial is typical. But some that I planted last year in barrels have been blooming all season long for me this year. The plants are finally beginning to sort of fall apart, so my guess is they've run their course. But two full years of bloom out of something you buy in six packs is a pretty good deal. They come in shades of pink, as the name suggests, pink, red, white, and sort of lavender pink colors. And they bloom in these cycles of about three months, you know, on and off, and uh, continue to bloom right on into the summer if you trim them back. Old-fashioned ones would set seeds, so they would need some grooming, deadheading. Newer ones are triploid, meaning they don't set seed, so they just bloom because they don't know any better. We don't have carnations on this list. Is that a, a hot season? Plant? Yeah, well, they're a perennial. Oh, I grow carnations. Okay, that's it. I, they're a perennial, and you plant them for mainly spring bloom in this climate, although I do get continued summer bloom lightly on them. That's okay. a, that would be a different conversation, but yeah. And then you talked about snapdragons. You mentioned them a lot as though the, we should all know about snapdragons. snapdragons what are, the heck's a snapdragon? Snapdragon. Well, every, every kid knows how to snap a snapdragon flower. Um, it's a classic flower. It is easily grown, but the the old ones were very tall day length bloomers photo period bloomers that means that means they would initiate flowers only under certain day length conditions so if you planted them in the mid to late fall they wouldn't bloom until next spring uh, that's cool. That's fine if you're aware of that. But you mm-hmm. would plant them now, and then they'd grow and make these nice full plants and give you heavy bloom as the days are getting longer, February, March, April, and bloom on into the early summer. Now you can buy snapdragons in bloom in nurseries all the time, pretty much. Mm. Don't really recommend it midsummer in a hot climate like ours, but if you're in the Bay Area or Southern California or cooler climates uh, where you see them, these are new, day-neutral, well, new, 20-year-old, day-neutral <laughs> day varieties that'll bloom no matter what. 
And there's even a very dwarf one, which I looked askance at when it first came on the market because I'm tired of this embedding plant industry. But in this case, they were right. This is a, these are cute little miniature snapdragons. They grow to about a foot. They make a little mound of bloom. They bloom nonstop. Spring, summer, fall, winter, wherever you are, they kind of go out of bloom when it's really hot because they set seed. If you pinch those off, they'll bloom again. And uh, they bloom all the time. I mean, I have one grower that has these dwarf snapdragons on their list almost every season of the year. Um, I would think of them personally as more of a cool season flower because that's what we traditionally always did. But look for these. If you got, And by the way, these plants get a foot by a foot. All right, old-fashioned snapdragons, like you'll see in the Burpee seed catalog, four foot tall when they're oh. in bloom. You know, they need okay. staking. How do you handle this in your garden? These were they were high maintenance plants because you had to stake up the blooms and, and make it's sure muddy they had, when you're out there yeah, trying sure, to stake them. Make sure they had space yeah. and all this kind of. No, these new ones, like the sonnets, bloom at about 18 inches. You plant them close enough together, they'll hold each other up. And these really dwarf ones, like the floral carpet, the Tahiti, the Montego series just the dwarf snapdragons, they don't, they don't need any staking ever. They're just a little miniature plant, and the flowers do snap, just like a classic snapdragon should. Good. If you want a lot of showy stuff and you really don't mind staking, these so-called azalea-flowered snapdragons don't snap because they're fully opened and double, uh, mm -hmm. make these spectacular blooms. So they'll disappoint kids because there's nothing to snap, but they're great garden plants for cut flowers. And the time to plant any of them, regardless of whether the old type or the new ones, the best time is now, October, in this in our zones, because you can plant them now. They will do some bloom right away if they're the day-neutral types. They'll be building up nice plants that will go through the winter and bloom again February, March, April, May. And my experience with snapdragons is they are, of all the winter annuals, the most likely to continue on into the summer. They're so pretty heat-tolerant. Do they have a scent? Very light, sweet scent that people like, yes. So if you want, if you want the... the the scent, then you mm -hmm. go for stock instead of snapdragons. That, definitely. Yeah, stock are definitely much more fragrant. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk about stock next. But snapdragons are easy. The one thing to watch for with snapdragons, and check them when you buy them. I hate to say this, but check them when you buy them for rust. Rust fungus is common. It's a specific disease, a specific type of rust that goes on snapdragons. When you get it, it splashes up higher and higher on the plant, just like it does on roses. Different type of rust, but the same principle. When you get that, it's going to continue to show up on your snapdragons in your garden unless you methodically go through at the end of the season, like early summer, and pull them all out, including any seedlings that have come up, and be completely snapdragon-free for two or three months before you plant new ones, uh, or else it's going to splash up onto the new plants that so, you get. So when you're checking for rust on the the bedding plants, yeah. what are you looking for? You go, go under the bottom yep. leaf? Yeah, turn it over, look at the bottom of the leaf. You'll see the rust spores if they have them. It's a problem in the bedding. Rust bed means it's red? Uh, yeah, kind of rusty colored, okay. hence, hence the name. Yeah, yeah. well, I don't know. <laughs> you never know with these things. <laughs> this particular one, it does fit, yeah. yes. Okay, um, stock, going to stock. Yes, the stock market is very good if your stocks are flowers. The, um, the, the common kind that we sell drives me crazy because it's a little bedding plant that blooms about a foot tall. Has mm -hmm. very sweet, fragrant flowers, and very that's short. what it does. They're so short at this point that you get more flower than leaves. Mm. I mean, it's probably the most dwarfed of all the bedding plants. Can you still get regular ones? Not directly from bedding plant companies. You can grow them from seed, and I mm. have sought them out and am doing so myself. I actually bought in a bunch of seed and handed it over to a local grower for the evening scented stock. 
the one that's powerfully fragrant at night, and said, please grow these for us and for any of your other customers. So the two places you're likely to find them are our shop and the Davis Food Co-op, because she also <laughs> sells there. And I, Fine, absolutely. I'd love yeah. more people planting it. Yeah. That is so fragrant it makes your eyes water. It's that kind of a fragrance. So not everyone is going to want that one. Mm-hmm. It's powerfully fragrant and somewhat rangier. But, but regular plant. stock is... Regular stock is so, a sweet, pleasant smell, sort of like carnations and easy to grow. It just doesn't... They just don't get that big. So. Would you plant the seed now, or is it too late for you seeding? Could, you could do seed now if you're... Uh, in, in the stock. California, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then the other sweet one is sweet alyssum, which smells like honey. And that's and another one like lovely. dianthus. You can plant any time. You can mm-hmm. plant it and it'll bloom for 8, 10, 12 weeks after mm-hmm. you plant it. And then the plants will go to seed and you generally only have to plant it once. And they're a, a very light, uh, fluffy sort of thing. And they're a great filler for yes. hanging baskets. Good for drawing beneficials as well. Hey, do you have a burning desire to learn more about radio? I'm already doing it. From the back end business <laughs> to the on-air broadcast, we have just the thing. KDRT offers no-cost training via community internships across departments, including publicity and social media, music acquisitions and curation, and audio production. We welcome volunteers, both behind the mic and behind the scenes. If you'd like to get involved in community radio, now's your chance. Shoot us a line at info at kdirt.org. And, and we always talk about a show of one of the other shows, and I'm usurping that today. Well, I'm, first of all, we're going to talk about steak. Oh, yes, that's true. So how true. to cook a steak. No, no, no. Steak. S-T-E-A-C, steak. Short-Term Emergency Aid Committee provides immediate short-term emergency assistance to low-income families in Yolo County. Their services include shelter assistance and emergency food supplies. For more information or to offer support to this great organization, call 530-758-8435 or visit steacstake.org. And by the way, if you have an active neighborhood person, you may have someone who is collecting food every month or every other month. And that's what those little green bags are for. And we have one of our neighbors who does that in our neighborhood. It's wonderful. Okay. okay now, we're going to finish off this, and then we'll talk about my show. Okay. So, um, I'm not going to try and pronounce it. Don is going to pronounce it for us. <laughs> it one? is called Poor Man's Orchid. Shizanthus. S-C-H-I-Z-A-N-T-H-U-S-P-I-N-N-A-T-U-S. Shizanthus pinatus. And it's going to be too tender for anyone outside of zones 8, 9, 14 to 24. We even get frost damage on it here. But we have one grower that does it, and I think more home gardeners should look into this one for really ferny foliage with a open, I'll say snapdragon-like plant. It really isn't, though. It's, it's its own category. Lots of winter bloom. Very cool, cool season annual. Look for shizanthus. Um, not everybody grows it, so if wherever you buy your plants, it may or may not show up there. What, but it's one of those things. It? It's in a, a range of reds and purples and pinks, and so hmm. something to fill in. The foliage is soft and ferny, hmm. and so if you've got one of a mixed planter, and you're looking for a good filler to go above your spiller and next to your thriller, <laughs> shizanthus is a great choice. Shazam, Shazanthus, <laughs> and she's dragon. Closer than about 28 degrees, uh, colder is going to be a problem for it. Okay, so. Cineraria. Now that's one. Cine, I can pronounce that Cineraria one. is something that has f- had fallen out of the trade, and I hadn't seen them for ages. Then I started seeing them at grocery stores. Mm. Uh, they're too tender here in the valley to grow outside, out in the open. They'll go fine until we get to about 28, 29 degrees, and then they'll be damaged. If they're close to your house, they'll be fine. So it's that kind of plant. Mm-hmm. You could have it in a, and they come in unusually, in true blue, or very, very bluish purple, and quite a range of really strong electric colors. So they're kind of coming back in. They're a 
a tender and somewhat fragile plant, but for the amount and the intensity of bloom, even if it only lasts for a few weeks, you do definitely get your money's worth. So what's the size and the leaf like? I mean, it's not that little fluffy, ferny no, thing. No, no, no. It's bigger with a, leaf, a more rounded leaf. And what really they have is a, a big cluster of daisy-like flowers, but in these mm-hmm. amazing colors, uh, okay. very electric colors. All right. Bay Area gardeners should do well with Cineraria. Look for them again, because as I say, they're kind of coming back in. The, the, the big grower... Our industry is odd. The big grower that sells mainly to grocery stores is doing a lot of them. And this is the – so Trader Joe's, Nugget, Safeway, you'll see, you'll see these in their florist department starting mm-hmm. about Thanksgiving and right on through the winter. You could do them as a house plant, sort of. I mean they would just be a long, somewhat long-lived bouquet that will decline slowly. Mm-hmm. They'd rather be outside, but they don't want to be out in the open air where it will be freezing. So your front porch is usually a good place for them. And I would recommend you Google and look at the flower colors because they're really amazing. Spell that, Don. C-I-N-E-R-A-R-I-A, Cineraria. All right. And then California poppy, and this is a good time to plant the seeds if you have bare ground. Yeah, this is getting into a category of plants that we put in now for bloom later. Uh, And there's a lot of them, which are either annuals or can be perennial. The California poppy certainly can be perennial, though most people plant it as an annual. Here we plant them. I've sold California poppy seed all over the world now. People coming into our stop shop because we're in a college town mm-hmm. and they want to buy something that reminds them of California, so they buy California poppy seed. And they'll say, oh, where are you going? Poland? Well, you might want to plant it in the spring there rather than in the fall. I don't mm-hmm. know. You might ask locally. But here, we plant them in the fall. Uh, we've talked many times about this. October is an excellent time to do it. Scatter them on bare soil. Don't cover them, but be sure to water them since it's not going to rain for several weeks, and they'll come up quickly. Mm-hmm. And then you keep them watered, and uh, honestly, you don't really even have to thin them out. They'll just thin each thin themselves mm-hmm. out. And the ones that make it, which will be a certain percentage of the stand, will turn into plants that will typically, from seed planted now, bloom February, March, April, May, even into the summer, depending on various factors. But the plant can become perennial. Yeah, And, and when you... So I, what I say is keep those seeds until the first rainstorm. Go out and dance in the rain and sprinkle your seeds. <laughs> so that works. And it's, then you never have to water it. Yeah. And what's going to happen is those little tiny seeds will come up and they will, oh, and by the way, the seeds are like dust. They're yeah. tiny, tiny seeds. But they'll come up and then the plants will be tiny. They'll be very short. They'll be very like almost like a rosette on the ground. and But they hunker down through the winter, yeah. don't do anything. They don't do much of and anything. And then all yeah. of a sudden, when it's the first time it's warm, you don't even notice that it's been warm yet, and suddenly all these plants are coming up, and they're gorgeous. I've marked my wonderful. calendar in the past, and I noticed the first bloom generally about the third week of February. Yeah. It can be later some years, earlier some years. But they go on into the early summer. And I learned years ago that if you cut them back, they will actually function as perennials mm-hmm. and even try and bloom again during the summer. And you don't actually have to plant them now, but no. it gives them a head start. Yep. If you wait till it's warm in the spring, and then you plant them, you'll still get some. It'll They'll just be later. And my assumption is that that's what people do in places like Poland when they take the seed from my nursery and go home, plant them in the spring and get a nice early summer bloom. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, it's a a hard one. That's why it's California. I've read that the California poppy is actually invasive in the southern states. Oh. Yeah. Well, it used to invade California until we wiped out most <laughs> of our stands it's not technically, of California. Not technically invasive if it's native here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's talk about forget-me-nots because that's that other true blue flower. Yeah, this is about as blue as you can get. And they, they are planted now from packs or seeds if you have time or patience for doing things from seed. And packs are an easy way to grow. And they will be blooming 
usually February. They're one of those plants, they may bloom midwinter. It depends on really how rainy we are more than anything, how much sun we get. And they'll bloom on through the spring. I've had customers who are doing the Pence garden tour, who are properties we're going to be on that. I suggest they plant in the shady areas a whole lot of forget-me-nots in the fall. Mm -hmm. Because even at the tail end of their bloom, which is the first week of May when that garden tour happens, they look quite spectacular. By the end of May, they're usually done. But they they naturalize very freely, to use the term that we like to use in the biz. Well, we talk about California poppies, which are Eschulzia. Yes. And then there is the true poppies. This is Iceland poppies, Papaver. Almost all poppies are actually well planted here in the valley and in most parts of lowland California in the fall mm-hmm. for bloom next spring. Uh, if you want to grow the bread poppy, uh, which is a derivative of the opium poppy, you plant them in the fall. They make this great big plant and they spectacular bloom March or April. And when he says big, he means like knee high or higher. Oh, yeah. And the flower are seven inches across and you've never seen so many uh, drugged happy bees in them as uh, you can you, it's amazing I have pictures of the Dutch flag poppy mm-hmm. unbelievable Danish flag poppy um, but there's not a lot of bloom in each individual plant they're just spectacular bloom for what you get mm-hmm. however Iceland poppy planted in the fall blooms in the winter into the early spring and the blooms float up the name Papaver nudicali nudicali means nude stem it mm-hmm. has a flower stem that has no leaves on it it's right. hairs on on it, but no leaves on it, which gives the effect of these very elegant yet yet fragile-looking poppies bobbing above the foliage about 18 inches high. And the amount of bloom you get from Iceland poppies here is amazing. Each plant mm-hmm. produces 10, 12, 15 blooms, often over several weeks, and a mass of them is quite spectacular. And then they're mm-hmm. done with the first hot weather. But okay. fall is the time to put them in. Okay. Um, sweet pea? Sweet peas are planted in October here. Uh-huh. for late winter bloom into the spring and early summer. Uh-huh. So you'll it's a very confusing topic because in Oregon and the UK and places like that, I gather you folks plant them in early, early spring for late spring bloom. I could be wrong. Here we plant them in the fall for winter or spring bloom. And there's names like early winter flowering, which might make you think it blooms early in the winter. But no, it's an early flowering one that still blooms sometime in the winter would be a more accurate name. But that doesn't fit on the seed catalog, the seed packet. Uh, You plant them now. They scramble up. They get 6 to 12 inches high before our December gloom sets in. They sit there. They're not usually affected by cold. Twice I've had them killed badly by cold snaps like the 1991. Other than that, they make it through and then they just take off and they scramble. Scramble up to the top of whatever you have them climbing on, four, five, six feet high with no problem, or a nearby shrub or whatever. But it's a lightweight vine. It's not twining around things or engulfing them like Morning mm-hmm. Glory does. It's just leaning on them and growing through them. Uh, one of the most spectacular combinations I did one year was tall, old-fashioned snapdragons mixed in with sweet peas, and they held each other up. Mm-hmm. And the combination was very, very showy all the way till June. The fragrance is phenomenal. Uh, they're very easy to grow, and if you let the seeds ripen and scatter, you'll never have have to plant them again. And it's a light fragrance. It's not a heavy cloying thing. I brought them in to my nursery, and I would say it was about 9 to 1 ratio of people who really loved them, but the one, the the 10% who said things like, oh, I've always hated that smell. Yeah, well, that's okay. It's pretty pungent. Okay, so I skipped one because... Primrose obscenica? Obconica. That's a that's gonna be like the Cineraria. You're gonna see those in the Bay Area. They're like a big showy midwinter primrose. Uh, be aware that well, they've kind of fallen out of the trade for two reasons. One, they're a little frost tender, and mm-hmm. two, the leaves cause skin irritation. Ew. So yeah, they're they are cool, but uh, be careful. 
So that was the list, and you can get this list at Redwood Barn. No, Red, Red, redwoodbarn.com. Redwoodbarn.com. So real quick, we're going to move on with this assignment that I was given to something spectacular blooming in my yard every month of the year with as little input from me as possible. Last time we did winter to early spring. This time we're just going to do mid-spring. Okay. Because there's, there's only two. so many things I could put on that list, but I just put two on. Well, it's, it's, a, tie, it's a tie for, for, for the, the – so there's actually three. So the tie is Ceanothus. Yeah. And Circus. Ceanothus is our mountain lilac, California lilac, wild lilac. Uh, it's un- not a lilac. It's not a lilac. It's got. It's a native, uh, native to the foothills, native to the coast range, species and varieties, dozens and dozens of them. Native to Super islands. fragrant blossoms, almost all in the purple to lavender range. And there mm-hmm. are white and some slightly different colors. And very, very, very easy to grow. The only thing is they're also easy to kill by overwatering. But I'll put them in the easy to grow category because you don't have to do anything to them. Probably shouldn't do much to them. And they they bloom in the winter. Winter to winter to spring, depending yeah. on the variety. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the Circe's, of course, is the red bud. Red bud. And that's, we have a California red bud, called Western red bud. And then there's one from Turkey, and there's one from oh, Canada, there's, yep. and there's one from the South. One, probably one of the best for us, actually, is the so-called Oklahoma red bud, which that's is it. a variety of the canadensis, and that just has a nice thick leaf. And it can take garden watering mm-hmm. or not. It's tolerant of a range of conditions, whereas the Western red bud... It's easy to overwater that one, yeah. but the amount Planted of bloom, on a mound, amount of bloom red buds give with so little input is just amazing. And those um, come out in the spring. Usually the buds come out before the leaves, yeah. and so you have these just it's incredible. Mag- there's a uh, in the arboretum. There's a we'll tell you about that when they come out. The red bud grove, yep. and then the last one in for for this section is Spirea. Cross Van Hooteri. I'm it's trying called to, Bridal's Wreath. In this assignment, I'm attempting to come up with things that would probably grow almost anywhere. Now, yeah. I, we mentioned Ceanothus, and I know that could be a little tricky, although I know people do grow them in um, England and Japan and places like that because I've seen pictures of garden centers selling them there. I don't know exactly what you do to grow California lilac in Japan where it rains all the time, probably in a pot. In England, I've read lots of interesting forum discussions about what you add to the soil to make sure it drains perfectly for these. Well, England, you know, the English will will grow anything, yes. and they just have they just. English they're... listeners, <coughs> we have lots of listeners in the UK. I know, yeah. and I appreciate what and you all do to hard grow gardeners. our California natives. We appreciate that, but Spirea. You can grow almost anywhere. I didn't get introduced to the deciduous flowering shrubs until I moved up here from Southern California. Turns out some of them would have grown down there. They just nobody does. It's you're in, you're why in, bother? You're in a frost-free area. They just didn't look right. I mean, I had I planted a birch mm-hmm. tree in my garden there, and everybody looked at it funny, like why do you have a birch tree in La Jolla when you could plant palms and avocados? But they do grow there. And the one in particular that I just note year after year, we mentioned flowering quince in the first section, the winter mm-hmm. blooming. For the spring blooming, the Spirea van Hootiae, one of the classic bridal wreath spireas. You don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. If you don't do anything, it gets about six by six with this lovely kind of arching growth habit. Blooms for a few weeks in the spring. It does its big thing. The foliage is a nice gray-green color. Fall color is spectacular on them in this area. Maybe not down there. You can prune it if you want. I know they're used as hedges back east. We don't bother to prune ours except maybe for shaping and size control. So it's just a very one of a big category. 
deciduous flowering shrubs. But in particular, you know, there's forsythias and a bunch of others, but it's one of the, just the most reliable and most abundant bloom. And it's called bridal's wreath. Back where I was in Michigan, mm-hmm. it bloomed in June. Yep. Here it blooms in April to May. So, yeah. so we've just got a couple of minutes left. Lois has a show coming up today and yes. wanted to use it, use a moment to talk about what will be on. And That's Life is my show, and it's every Thursday at 1 o'clock, and it replays Sundays at 2. Um, today I have one of the council members, Dan uh, Carson, who's coming, and he's going to be telling us about the switch to district elections. This is something that is happening in the city. It's not optional. Uh, we're past. <laughs> we're past the. Um, do I think it's a good idea for district elections or not? Doesn't matter. At this point, it's just how is it going to happen? How are the districts going to be formed? What's the maps look like? I will encourage you to go to the city of Davis and look for the district uh, things. The maps are out. They came yep. out yesterday, and so you can see what the proposals are. There are still a couple of uh, public hearings available. So. Do you want to encourage questions? On um, actually, I, I no, I, I encourage people to write questions okay. to me, so we're good okay. on that. We're okay. not going to take calls. Okay. Um, I have lots of questions to ask Dan. So Lois does That's Life every week right after the Davis Garden Show. It replays various times during Sunday the week. Sunday at 2. Sunday at 2, and it's archived at, uh, well, kdrt.org. You can find all of our shows there and go back years in our case, uh, although you can also go to davisgardenshow.com. Um, quickly from the calendar, since we've got a couple minutes left here, uh, one thing to start thinking about is changing your watering schedule. I've already had questions about that because... We, it rained. Well, well barely. it didn't really. It, uh, my term for the kind of rain we got is it coagulated the dust on the leaves. It didn't even wash the dust off the leaves, but <laughs> it, at least it gave us the semblance that fall is here. The ET rate has dropped dramatically. That is to say the rate at which plants use water is down anywhere from 20 to 40 percent from the summertime levels. But plants are very dry. The soil is very dry here. We don't get our first rain in the Sacramento Valley or most of California in the lowland parts until the end of October. It begins and really it's November before we have an inch or two of rain. And so you do need to continue watering. Someone asked me, should I cut back how long it runs or how often it runs? Anytime I'm given that choice, my preference is to cut back how often it runs. Run it longer and less often because then you're watering more deeply and more thoroughly. So if you can change your timer to maybe up the duration and go to once a week, really thorough watering, you probably would be fine. But I want to throw out one little caveat there. Last year, October 2018, we had four north wind episodes Mm. during the month of October and one in November. We average one or two But we can get more than that. And every one of those north wind events is comparable to a summer day in terms of plant water use. The ET rate is as high as what a plant would be using in the month of July. So if you've cut your watering back, that's great. You're doing your part and you're conserving water. Just be prepared if you have one of those smart timers and the north wind kicks up or we're above average temperatures to go out there and bump it back up 10% if you have one of those kind. Those are great, by the way. Okay, I'm going to go up 10%, 20% for a week's duration and then watch the weather and go back. Because this is the time of year that is most uh, divergent, you might say. Challenging. Yes, most divergent from the average in terms of the weather. You've been listening to The Davis Garden Show with Don Shore. And Lois Richter here at KDRTLP 95.7 in Davis, California. Mm -hmm.